Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. I want to welcome you today to Celebration Online. Join Pastor Stephen in doing so. And I want you to know that we care about you here at Celebration Church. And no matter where you live, no matter where you're viewing this program from, uh, if there's any way we can pray for you, serve you, or help you, you be sure to let us know at online at celebrationchurch.org. Today I want to ask you a question. What has God done in, for, and through your life? Think about that question. What has God done in, for, and through your life? Has he saved you? Has he transformed you? Has he helped you? Has he blessed you? Has he provided for you? Has he protected you? Has he healed you? Has he delivered you from some struggle or stronghold in your life? Whatever that God has done in your life, we'd love to hear about what he has done. If you could leave some comments in the comment section that would help us to know uh, what he's done. And I want you to think about that today as we continue our study of the series, The God Who Provides. Our text today is Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. You follow along as I read. The Bible says in Exodus 18, 1, Moses' father, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. That's in verse 1. Now drop down to verse 6. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low, bowed low and he kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. And Jethro was delighted. He was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he is rescued from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God Aaron and all the elders of Israel came and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Now, scripture begins today with the Bible telling us that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, heard about all the great and mighty things that God has done for his people as he rescued them from the Egyptians, as he delivered them through the Red Sea, as he provided for them in the wilderness crossing. Now, that verse reminds us that when God does great things for his people, people in the world, people around us, ought to hear about what God has done and what God is doing. If the Lord has saved you, if the Lord has transformed you, if the Lord has healed you, if the Lord has provided for you, if the Lord has protected you, if the Lord has blessed you in some kind of way, you should be telling others who the Lord is to you, what the Lord has done for you, and what he can do for them as well. And you especially need to tell uh, the people in your circle of family, uh, family members and friends, especially your children or your grandchildren if you have them. Now we communicate to others what the Lord has done in and for our lives by sharing our testimonies. Again, by telling others about who God is to us and what he's done for us. But we also uh, communicate to others what the Lord has done in and for and through our lives by inviting them to join us in the worship services of our church. 
Did you know that 85% of the people who ever start attending a church and, and ultimately give their lives to the Lord started attending that church or that church service because of the invitation of a trusted friend or family member? And so even through our online services, I want to encourage you to be inviting your friends and family members and others, your social media friends, to join us for these services because in doing so, you're testifying that God has done a good work or a great work in and for and through your life. Let me also say that baptism by immersion is another way that we communicate and demonstrate to people that God has done great things in and for our lives. Now, when I'm talking about baptism, I'm not talking about when little children are sprinkled or christened as infants. Uh, Baptized is is actually a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means means to immerse under water, not to sprinkle with water, but to immerse under the water. Now, I mentioned some of you may have been baptized or sprinkled or christened, uh, christened when you were an infant. That occurred because your parents wanted in some way to dedicate you to God, but, but that's not New Testament baptism. New Testament baptism occurs after you personally have made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, something, by the way, you can't do as an infant. And, and then when that happens, you're to be immersed underwater, just like Jesus was and just like all New Testament believers were, uh, they were immersed underwater as Christian baptism. Christian baptism, by the way, communicates to others that we have received Jesus as our Savior and that we're committed to striving to live by His way and His will for our lives. The great Christian author, Watchman Nee, said, Baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. In other words, if you have a real faith in God, you'll want to demonstrate that faith through baptism by immersion. Baptism is telling others that God has done great things in our lives, that we're committed to his way and his will for our lives. Now let's go back to the story here at Exodus 18. In the first verse, we read again that Jethro had heard what God had done for Moses and the Israelite people. And so he invited uh, Moses to come and visit with him. And the Bible tells us in verse 8, Moses, when, when Moses visited with Jethro, Moses told his father-in-law everything, everything the Lord had done. You see, Moses, and the, Moses was articulating the goodness and greatness of God to his father-in-law, Jethro. So here's our question today. What are some steps we should take to celebrate who God is to us and what he's done for us in our lives? There's some answers to that question in today's passage of Scripture. To begin with, celebrating God's goodness could include remembering what the Lord has done in our lives. Again, the Bible says in verses 7 and 8, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt on behalf of Israel. Now, you remember the situations that the Israelites were experiencing there in Egypt. Uh, they, although they had been friends initially with the Egyptians, uh, eventually there came a time when the Egyptians enslaved the Israelite people. They forced them into hard labor. There was even a time when their male children were being killed by the Egyptian soldiers. I'm telling you, the, Egy- the Israelites experienced a lot of hardship and heartache and heartbreak and despair and lots of bondage and even death during their last years in Egypt. Now think about this. The life of bondage that the Israelites experienced in Egypt uh, reminds us of how what kind of bondages we had in our lives before Jesus Christ became the Savior and Lord of our lives. Uh, before Jesus became our Savior, almost all of us were slaves to the devil and to our own carnal desires in some kind of way, in, this, in a similar way to how the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians before they were rescued from the land of Egypt. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, that when Jesus became our Savior, he rescued us actually from spiritual death. 
It says in Ephesians 2, 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience in many sins. Now let's understand what uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote those words was saying uh, once you were, when he said once you were dead. He's not saying that once we were zombies like they have on the television program, The Walking Dead. Uh, the Bible teaches that, uh, that, that we are spiritually dead before we come to faith in Christ. There are actually three kinds of death. There's physical death, which is a separation of the soul from the body. There's eternal death, which is a separation of the soul from God for all of eternity. And then there is spiritual death, which is a separation of the soul from God in this, in this present life. And the Bible says we've all, every single one of us, even the best of us, we've all been spiritually dead at some point in time in our lives. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the human race, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. You see, ever since the days of Adam and Eve, every person who has ever lived, no matter how good they may have been, they've been spiritually dead at some point in time in their lives until Jesus Christ came and brought eternal life and new life to their lives. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I don't know how to tell you this. I hate to tell you this, but you are spiritually dead right now. You may be a good person. You may be a member of a church. But if you've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and you don't have a vibrant relationship with him, you are spiritually dead. You're not just sick. You're dead. You're not just confused. You're dead. You're not just lost. You're dead. You don't need resuscitation. You need resurrection from the dead in your life. And by the way, uh, that's the way why Christians should never date or marry a person who's not a Christian. Who wants to be going out with a dead person anyhow? Now, when people are spiritually dead, the Bible says uh, they struggle with spiritual deception. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, here's what that tells us. When a person is spiritually dead, they are in bondage to the devil. They're in bondage to the devil in lots of ways, but in particular to the lies and threats of the devil. Now, how many of you know some big, big liars? I bet you know some liars, and maybe you've even been a liar at some time in your life. I want to tell you the devil is the biggest liar of all. Jesus said in 8, John 8, that the devil is the father of lies. That means every day that the devil is lying to people to keep them in bondage, to keep them discouraged, and even to keep them spiritually dead. He tells people lies like, you know, other people can change, but you'll never be able to change. You, can't be, you can be right with God and go to heaven if you're a good person. You don't have to become a follower of Jesus Christ. He tells people you can never be forgiven for what you've done. He tells people the Christian life is miserable and unhappy, and he uses those lies and others' lies to keep people in bondage to the devil and keep people spiritually dead. Paul went on to say in Ephesians 2, 3, that when people are spiritually dead, they also struggle with moral depravity. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Paul's referring to the fact that before our lives are transformed by the Lord, before Jesus becomes the Savior and Lord of our lives, our appetite is sinful, that, that we desire sinful things and we live in sinful ways. Let me ask you, have you ever struggled with the desires of your flesh? Sure you have. We all have at times our lives. An inordinate focus on our wants and our wishes, a lust for pleasure and power and popularity, etc. We all struggle with what the Bible calls sinful moral depravity. Now I have three grandsons, and all of my three grandsons actually are sweet boys, but one time one of them was being bad at school. And his teacher said to me, Pastor, he had evil in his heart today. <laughs> when I talked with him about what his teacher had said, guess what? He agreed with her. He had had evil in his heart that day. Well, the Apostle Paul says there's evil or depravity in every person's heart. 
but especially in the hearts and lives of those who've never received Jesus as their Savior. And then Paul said, when people are spiritually dead, they are facing eternal doom. He says in Ephesians 2, 3, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. He's saying that people without Jesus are facing the wrath of God and the prospect of eternity in a place called hell. You see, if you, it doesn't matter how good a person is, how religious they are, or how moral they are, if they've never committed their life to Jesus Christ, they are spiritually dead. A spiritually dead person has no relationship with Jesus, no ability to understand spiritual things, no victory over ungodly desires, no lasting peace and joy, no hope of making it to heaven. Thank God we don't have to remain spiritually dead in our lives. The Bible tells us when Jesus became our Savior, he rescued us from spiritual death. But it also tells us that he provided for us a supernatural life. Now remember, when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, they began a whole new way of life. Which reminds us that when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we begin a whole new way of life. If we go back to Ephesians 2, where we just were, we discover that when Jesus becomes our Savior, we, we begin what the Bible refers to as a fulfilling life. Paul writes these words in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. He said, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, spiritually dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Now think about that word life right there. There are actually three words in the Greek language that are translated life. There's the word bios, uh, which refers to physical life. There's the word suke, which refers to our spiritual capacity or the spiritual capacity of humans. And then there is the word zoe, which refers to a whole life, or a full life. It's a, it's a, Zoe is that extra additive that brings zest to our lives. And what Paul was saying is that when Jesus becomes the Savior and Lord of our lives, he gives us a new kind of life. We already had bios, life force. We already had suke, spiritual capacity. But, but Jesus brings us abundant life, a fulfilling life, the best life, the blessed life. In fact, Jesus said this in John 10, 10, My purpose is to give my people a rich and satisfying life. I wonder how many of you, who are participating with us today, can testify to the fact that you've gotten a better life. You've had a better life since Jesus became the Savior and Lord of your life. Man, I can testify to that. I remember before I became a follower of Jesus, I was trying to explore all that the world had to offer. I was trying to experience all the world has to offer, but oftentimes my life was characterized by things like anger and bitterness and, and a critical spirit and discouragement and fear and frustration and hurt and guilt and insecurity and, and, and worry and stress and all those kinds of things. Looking back, it was a miserable way to live. No wonder I tried to self-medicate in so many different ways. But when Jesus came into my life, he delivered me from that junk, all, that str all the struggles and those strongholds of mine, and he brought me peace and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness and, and victory in my life. Thank God we have a whole new life when Jesus becomes the Savior and Lord of your life. Recently, I've taken up a new form of exercise, and I've been taking up bicycle riding. I have some injuries to both of my knees. I had an injury to my foot, so I've taken up bicycle riding. How many of you have ever taught You've ever had the, you had the opportunity to teach a child how to ride a bicycle? You used to start off with a little tricycle, you know, a little tricycle or a big Hot Wheels thing or something like that, low to the ground, easy to maneuver, a lot of stability. And, but then you move them onto a bicycle. Oftentimes when you put a kid on a bicycle, you put training wheels on the bicycle so they have more balance to go along. But, but eventually you get to the place where they get so comfortable riding a bike that you take off the training wheels because they can go a lot farther and faster 
without the training wheels on a bicycle other than a tricycle. You know, I've never seen anybody go from training wheels to a bicycle and go back to training wheels. Why? Because they found a whole better life on that bicycle. When you come to Jesus Christ, you should never be tempted to go back to the old way of life because I'm telling you, when you were spiritually dead, it wasn't as good as you think it was, and Jesus brings a whole new life, the best of life to our lives. So ask yourself this question. What do I appreciate about what Jesus did for me when he came into my life? We're talking about celebrating God's goodness, and celebrating God's goodness could include remembering what God has done in our lives. But it also could include rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in our lives. Now let's go back to our original passage in Exodus 18. Here's what we read. Moses also told Jethro about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all of their troubles. Now, even remember this, even though the Israelites left Egypt and slavery and bondage in Egypt, they had to still deal with some problems and problem people and hardships along the way. They had to deal with the Egyptians pursuing them all the way to the Red Sea. They had to deal with the bitter waters at a place called Merah. They had to deal with a lack of food in the wilderness. They had to deal with a lack of water and the attack of the Amalekites as they camped at a place called Rephidim in Exodus chapter 17. These Israelites were dealing with hardships all along the way, even though they had new freedom and new life because of God, just like we have to deal with hardships even when we're following the Lord. But honestly, it's in the midst of those hardships that we learn how to really turn to the Lord and trust in Him. And that's when we learn how mightily God is working on our behalf in our lives. Here's some lessons that the Israelites learned that we ought to be learning in our lives today. We learn that when we're focused on following the Lord, He provides us with direction for our lives. In fact, the Bible says back in Exodus 13, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God didn't lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the Promised Land. But God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. You see, the Bible says that God didn't lead the Israelites in the shortest route possible, which would have been along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, because to do that, they would have to go through the land of the Philistines, and and they weren't ready to do battle with the warlike, fierce Philistine people. So God led them on a roundabout way. But it's obvious that God was leading his people the entire time. He led them down to the Sinai Peninsula and the Sinai Desert, but he was leading his people. What was the plan for the Israelite people? To get them from Egypt to the Promised Land, the best and safest way possible. And God is working that same way in our life. When God leads us or allows us to go on some kind of detour in our life or go through a wilderness time in our life, it's not because he's forgotten about us. It's not because he doesn't care about us. He just knows we're not ready yet for some of those battles that would lie ahead of us if we took the more direct route. He knows we're not ready yet for that relationship in our lives. We're not ready yet for that promotion on the job. We're not ready yet for that move to another city. We're not ready yet for that position of ministry in the church. But God's still carrying out his plans and he's still leading us on the best and safest way possible. Now, the Bible says God will give us direction as we study his word, as we listen to his voice, and, and receive counsel from other Christians, which, which all those things happen in small groups. I want to talk with you more about that later on today. Now, when we're focused on following the Lord, he provides us with his direction. But also when we're focused on following the Lord, he blesses us with his presence. Let me take you back again to Exodus 13. The Bible says the Lord went ahead of the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. Now, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night represented the presence of the Lord, which meant wherever the Israelites went, the Lord was there with them, and the Lord was there for them. 
Let me ask you, do you ever feel like you're trying to make it through life alone? Do you ever feel abandoned by the Lord, forsaken by the Lord? That's not true. That's not true at all because the Bible says, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And by the way, the Lord's presence in our lives is what brings comfort and peace and joy to our lives. It says in Psalm 16, 11, in his presence is fullness of joy. And then when we're focused on following the Lord, he demonstrates to us his power. Now, remember what happened when the Egyptians caught up with the Israelites at the Red Sea. There was no place for the Israelites to go, but God had Moses hold up his staff. He parted the waters of the Red Sea, dried out the ground, and allowed and created a 48-lane superhighway for the Israelites to walk across the dry, uh, the dry ground there in the Red Sea. And, and the verses, in the verses that follow, we read that the Lord caused the waters of the Red Sea to collapse on Pharaoh's charioteers and soldiers. And the Bible says in Exodus 14, 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord. And here's why I remind you that. The Lord has all the power we need to help us overcome every great obstacle, every great opponent, every great challenge, every difficulty in our lives. And when we're focused on following the Lord, that's when he demonstrates his power to us in our lives. Also, when we're focused on following the Lord, he enriches our lives with his provision. Remember that the Israelites were without water at the place called Merah in Exodus 15. And, and without water at Rephidim in Exodus 6, 17. But the Lord provided them with water. And they were without food when they were traveling through the wilderness. But it says in Exodus 16, 4, the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And that story of the Israelites in the wilderness reminds us that the Lord is quite capable of meeting every need of our lives. He's capable of meeting our physical needs, our material needs, our financial needs, our emotional needs, our relational needs, our vocational needs, our spiritual needs. I'm telling you, God is in the need-meeting business for those who are committed to him and following him and trusting in him. In fact, it says in Psalm 37, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by his hand. Once I was young and now I'm old, the author says, yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread because God provides for his people. And then when we're focused on following the Lord, he provides us also with his protection. Remember what happened at the Red Sea. We studied it about a month ago. The Egyptians shouted, the Lord is fighting for the Israelites against Egypt. And when the Amalekites attacked the Israelites in Exodus 17, that we looked at last week, they discovered that same truth as well. And just as the Lord enabled the Israelites to defeat the Egyptians and the Amalekites, he will enable us to defeat our opponents when we're focused on him and following him. Now right now, some of you may feel like you've got the enemy breathing down your neck. You feel as though your obstacles or opponents or challenges are about to overwhelm you or overcome you. Let me tell you, if your focus is on the Lord, if you're following the Lord like the Israelites were doing in their day, I'm telling you, those obstacles and those opponents are going to fall down. Know this, if you know the Lord and if you live in for the Lord, he's going to stand between you and your enemies. He stands between you and your obstacles. Isaiah 4, 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you will prosper. And Romans 8, 31 says, If God stands with you, nothing and no one can stand against you. So don't give in. Don't quit fighting. Trust the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, and you will experience the direction, the presence, uh, the power, the provision, and the protection of the Lord in your life. But here's the third thing. Celebrating our victories could include also recommitting to the Lord's desires for our lives. 
Let's come down to what should be one of our primary responses to what the Lord has done and is doing in our lives. Take you back to our story in Exodus 18. The Bible says that Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. In God's presence. Now the Israelites offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to celebrate what the Lord had done and was doing for their lives and to demonstrate their commitment to him. When I read about those phrases in the Old Testament about uh, God's people offering burnt offerings to him or burnt sacrifices to him, I'm reminded of the story of a man who said to his friend, my wife must think I'm a God. His friend asked him, what makes you think your wife thinks you're a God? He said, because she brings me burnt offerings every night. Well, listen, no matter how well or how bad your wife cooks or, or your spouse cooks, they know that you're not a God. They have to live with you. They know that you're not a God. There's only one God, Jehovah God. And in the Old Testament, when the Israelites worshipped this one true God, they would bring burnt offerings and sacrifices of animals and other things to him. Why did they do that? Because they wanted the people around them and the people of the world to know they were fully committed to following this God who had rescued them and provided for them in such great ways. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we no longer find Christian followers of the Lord celebrating what God has done through burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was an Old Testament phenomenon. New Testament believers indicate their commitment to the Lord by learning and living by the principles of the Word of God, by fellowshipping and worshiping with other Christians, and by serving others and giving generously to the work of the Lord, and by being baptized by immersion. Now, let me unpack those principles for just a moment. We demonstrate our commitment to the Lord by learning and living principles, living by principles that are found in God's Word. Now, we learn about those principles as we faithfully attend worship services at celebration, by either in-person or online services, and we learn how to live out those principles as we participate in life groups with other Christians where we dialogue and discuss the principles and practices found in the Bible. We demonstrate our commitment to the Lord by fellowshipping and worshiping with other Christians. Now, we can, we, we can worship with other Christians and worship services. We've got to get involved again in a small group to really fellowship or in some kind of service to really fellowship with other Christians. And then we demonstrate our commitment to the Lord by serving others uh, and by giving generously. And we demonstrate our commitment to the Lord by being baptized by immersion. Now, we know that from the teachings of the New Testament. In Acts 2, we read about the beginning of the Christian church. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says in Acts 2 that the Spirit of God came and filled the followers of Jesus Christ with His presence and power. They went out into the streets telling people about Jesus. Peter, the Apostle Peter, got up and preached about Jesus. And, and the Bible says those who believed what Peter said were baptized. Right away they were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all. And there are many other scriptures in the New Testament that emphasize the priority of baptism as well. You see, baptism by immersion is one way, one crucial way that we demonstrate to people that God has done great things in and for our lives. And it's also a way that we communicate our commitment to Him. So here's some things you need to know about baptism. Being baptized in water indicates we believe God has forgiven us for our sins and welcomed us into His family. Do you believe that? If you do, you need to be baptized by immersion. Going down into the water symbolizes we have died to our old way of life. Have you made that commitment to the Lord? I'm not going back to the old way of life. If you have, 
You need to be baptized by immersion if you haven't already done so. Coming up from the water when a person is baptized indicates that we have been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Has that happened to you? Have you experienced a new and better, stronger life since Jesus became your Savior? If you have, you need to be baptized by immersion if you haven't already done so. In other words, if God has done a work in your life, just like the Israelites had offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, we should be willing to let everyone know through baptism by immersion of our faith in the Lord and, and our testimonies about the Lord and our commitment to Him. And we ought to be willing to take that step of commitment to the Lord as quickly as possible. The Bible says in Acts 16, 32 and 33 that Paul and Silas led a jailer to faith in Christ. They shared the word of the Lord with the jailer and with all who lived in his household. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. As soon as they committed their life to Jesus Christ, as quickly as they could, they took the step of baptism. And I want to tell you, if you've really committed your life to Jesus, if you sense His presence in your life, if you're thankful for who He is to you and what He's done for you and what He's doing in your life, you need to take that step of baptism by immersion as well if you haven't already done so. I'm always amused when I see people who are quick to update their relationship status on social media. They're proud to be in a relationship uh, with that person. They want the whole social media world to know, I'm in a relationship with that person. They want to be identified as in a relationship. Do you think that it harms a relationship if one party is not willing to acknowledge on social media that they're in a committed relationship with someone? Well, sure it does. And in a similar way, not taking the step of baptism, not indicating to the world that we are a real follower of Jesus Christ, keeps us from the next level in our relationship with the Lord. Let me give you another illustration from the world of sports. I have over here, uh, you may have noticed that I'm wearing a shirt that has an alligator on it. It's because I'm representing today the Florida Gators. Last week I represented my professional football team, the New Orleans Saints, and today I'm representing my, the Florida Gators, University of Florida Gators, alligators. And you'll notice I have a lot of, I have a lot of shirts here I have a, uh, now, I wasn't always a Florida Gator fan. I actually went to school uh, at their rival school, uh, Florida State University. And I live in New Orleans in Louisiana, where everybody wears this kind of shirt. They wear a purple and gold shirt to represent the Louisiana State University fighting tigers. But not me. No matter what the rest of the world around me is doing, no matter what the rest of the world around me is wearing, I'm committed to letting people know that I'm a Florida Gator fan. I've got caps, I've got shirts, I've got all kinds of th things. I want people to know this is my team, and I'm committed to following them. Now, you probably have a different team than I have, but here's what I want you to know. We should all be on the Jesus team. And if we are really on the Jesus team, if he's really the Savior and the Lord of our lives, we should be willing to let people know we stand with our team. We stand with our Savior. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And the, one of the primary ways we do that is by taking the step of baptism. Now, if you've never taken the step of baptism by immersion since you committed your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to do this. I want you to email us at online at celebrationchurch.org. Online at celebrationchurch.org. 
online at celebrationchurch.org and we will tell you, we'll give you instructions no matter where you are, no matter where you live, no matter what part of the world that you find yourself in, we'll give you instructions that will help you to know how you can take this crucial step of indicating your faith in Jesus, your commitment to him, and that you want the world around you to know that you're on the Jesus team. When I was nine years of age, in my church that I grew up in, I took the step of baptism, although I really didn't know Jesus as my Savior. Why did you do that? You might ask, well, because my friend was doing that. I was going along with my friends. Took the step of baptism. Nothing changed about my life. I went off into the world, did my thing, lived the way I wanted to live, did the things I wanted to do. And then I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And he came into my life and rescued me from that spiritual death and spiritual moral depravity and all those kinds of things. He brought new life, abundant life to my life. And so I was baptized again at 19 years of age. Now because my church was small and everybody knew me, they wondered, why in the world are you getting baptized? Because the first time, I wasn't a real Christian. I was just doing what the rest of the world around me was doing. But the second time, I wanted the world to know I had given my life to Jesus. He had transformed my life. He had filled my life with new things, great things, wonderful things, unbelievable things. And I wanted the world to know I'm on the Jesus team. And I'm going to be on the Jesus team for the rest of my life. If you've never taken that step, you need to take the step of letting people know God has done great things in and for and through your life. And you're on the Jesus team. And you want to be on that team for the rest of your life. Now I want you to bow your head with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You know, in this passage of Scripture we read in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said this, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he's rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Let me ask you, do you know that God is greater than all other gods? Is God greater to you than all other gods in your life. If you're not sure about that today, I want to encourage you to make Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord and God of your life. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? You do that by just praying with me to surrender your life to Him. You can do that right now. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And today I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to transform my life. Thank you for Thank you for what you have done thus far on my behalf. But I want to see greater things happen in my life. And I'm committing my life to you. And then I'm going to commit also to taking the step of baptism. To letting people know who you are to me. What you've done for me. And how you've transformed me. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.